contact. It's the answer. It's, I don't even know. I, I'm trying to, I, why do I even remember that theme song? Jesus, three, two, one contact song. That and the Bloodhound Gang. Oretachiwa Bloodhound Gang. In Japan, were they called like the Suicide Squad Bloodhound <laughs> like, Gang? Or the Tokotai, like the, the kids' Tokotai. That's too, too soon. Too soon, Patrick. I am Patrick Macias, the author of Tokyo Scope. And I'm Matt Alt, the author of Pure Invention How Japan Made the Modern World. So this is episode 43 and a half? This is episode 43, technically. And uh, just to do some housekeeping, I wanted to say that uh, I think we're going to try to go back to doing weekly episodes. I think some of you may have noticed that we'd gone bi-weekly for a while, but now I think we're going to try to go back to weekly, but with a twist. I think we're going to try to do shorter episodes every other week and then do the longer ones on the off weeks. So the idea is that every other week we are going to do a non-themed news-only episode, but still featuring all of the commentary that you've come to love and trust from Pure Tokyoscope. Like Shakey's pizza commercials. <laughs> I knew it! I knew it would make its, it would rear its ugly cheese-covered pepperoni festooned head at some point. You did it. You unlocked the beast. I actually think this is a good idea. More content, more regularly. The more regular, the better. So let, let's get on with it. Is this like Matt Alt's party record? Please delete everything I just said. It's okay. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. I'm uh, I'm just a little bit loopy and high. I had a Hiroko and I had a big presentation uh, to a group of visiting MBA students, believe it or not, yesterday. And uh, I'm just still kind of tired from that, I guess. And a little bit uh, high out of my mind on uh, exhaustion. Were all the students in the detention center there at immigration in Shinagawa? I think they were actually, we were giving the lecture on Mario Karts at the time. They were, we were racing through the streets. Of the, by the way, I know we've talked about this several times before, but there's literally now no quarter of the city in which those damn carts are not running. It's it's crazy. It's it's like, it used to be just Harajuku and Shibuya. Now it's like, no matter where you are, suddenly you'll hear like, and then like a bunch of people dressed like furries scream by on carts while some dude in a megaphone is like, look, shopping district, you know? <laughs> And like not looking where he's driving. I'm like trying to figure out, can I throw a banana peel or like a turtle shell in the way of these guys? It's going to take a miracle to stop it or at least a decapitation when one of them like backs into a truck or something like that. Exactly. It takes a city of millions to to stop them, uh, but it hasn't happened yet. I hear they're not affiliated with Nintendo though. Speaking of things that shouldn't be allowed on city streets, Matt, we're going to go into our first item here on the news, which is a brazen amateurish Tokyo heist highlights a rising trend as Japanese gangs lure desperate youths into crime. Four teenagers were arrested on Monday after a brazen daylight robbery at a luxury watch shop in Tokyo's Ginza district, with the masked assailants threatening the staff before smashing showcases and stealing merchandise. At around 6.15 p.m., three suspects entered the Quark Ginza 888 shop, threatening the staff with a knife before using crowbar-like objects to break into showcases, escaping in a rental car which had the license plate switched, investigative sources said. Was it really that amateurish? Like these guys were wearing masks. You know, they were on a timer. I don't even know if you want to call it amusing. The The thing is that they're all claiming under interrogation, they don't know each other, that they got this job through a quote unquote Yami Baito or underground like dark web work site. Wait, Yami Baito, is that like Yobai? Do you remember that from the Shotgun Massacre episode we did with Ryuhei Kitamura? Do you believe, Patrick, do you believe in the user of uh, Yami Baito? I don't, I don't know what to make of this entire situation. Well, someone 
did break this down in an article about why it is amateur hour. For starters, it was late afternoon, meaning they did their Yami Baito in full daylight. <laughs> uh, and much of their escape route through the Ginza uh, was right through the vicinity of the Metropolitan Police Department headquarters. So they all got caught like fairly soon after the brazen uh, robbery there, which is not the kind of thing you see in Tokyo. No, no. But it's become increasingly common in America. In San Francisco, this happens like about every five minutes in Union Square, from my understanding. And there there were some really interesting kind of on-the-street moments here. For one, everybody stood around filming it. So like the, the guys, their, their, their getaway car, like its route, its license plate, like everything, its color, like everything about it was like instantly known. Two is there's just this random female bystander who's like on her phone to the cops, like constantly closing, like she's standing in front of the door trying to block these guys. And I was just like, you know, you're watching this. And by the way, we know this because so many people were filming this. It took place in the middle of the afternoon in the Ginza when there's literally 300 people per meter of, of pavement out there. And everybody's last time I checked had a cell phone. So this is practically being live streamed to the web while it was going on. But I wanted to grab this woman and be like, get out of, just let them do what they're going to, they're going to kill you. Um, I guess she's lucky they were, they were amateurish and also lucky this is Japan. So they didn't have guns. So this became world news probably because of that amazing cell phone footage of the robbery. But actually, there was a similar smash-and-grab robbery a week earlier in Harajuku, right underneath the FR2 clothing store, which is the place with the rabbit with the no sexual services sign next to it. Oh, wow. I was just there. Wait a second. Uh, I was not just there. I was... Hold on. I was I was definitely at home. I was sleeping at the time of the robbery. Really? It was there? Yes. I just... Yes, 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 yes. A bunch of guys like ransacked a jewelry shop, and they were arrested a couple days later. So these smash and grab things are on the rise. And again, they're kind of calling this Yami Baito, which is apparently dark work, organized criminal rings who recruit using SNS services, usually Twitter. The way I guess this works is that they post things saying like, hey, you're looking for a job? You're looking to make a lot of money quick? You DM them. I guess they ask you, are you okay with doing like illegal things? And then pretty quickly, you're in a warehouse and they tell you your name is Mr. Pink. Your name is Mr. Brown. Your name is Mr. White. And then you got to go rob a place filled with watches. I, don't I can't think of any, you know, more like scheme more likely to go awry than just recruiting random people off the web to do something like this. You know, whatever happened to the day's professional thieves, Patrick? When I was a kid, thieves trained for their entire lives for moments like this. Now it's just every kid thinks they can do it right off the street. This isn't the first time we've seen the words Yambi Baito used in the media. This happened earlier this year when they arrested the Luffy gang, a gang of thieves in Tokyo who were doing home invasions. And uh, they had recruited all these guys, all the thieves from the internet as well, using like Twitter, like people, guys sliding into each other's DMs on Twitter and stuff like that. You know, why can't, I, I'm not interested. In, why don't people like recruit me for like, you know, I don't know, pooling money together to buy like a jumbo machine or something. Is there any, is there any kind of Yami Baito for that? Well, there's a mastermind he's out there Matt. He's in a warehouse. He's got an unlimited supply of anonymous masks that he probably bought at Don Quixote. And then he'll just hand them out and say, this is the place. This is the place. You're Yellow Ranger. You're Pink Ranger. You're Green Ranger. Is that what they do? They all fight over who's going to be the Red Ranger. <laughs> who's going to be the Red Ranger? I don't want to be Brown Ranger. Is there, is there a Brown Ranger? There's actually a... I think there's a Brown... I don't know if you call him a Ranger. One of the Ninja Captor guys is Brown. I just... <laughs> 
<laughs> Do they fight over who didn't want to be Mr. Ninja Captor Brown? I don't know. You know I, th- these things might be on the rise, but this isn't the first time that there was a smash and grab in the Ginza. I remember about, God, it must be close to 10 years ago now, a group of people did this the quote unquote right way, which is like right at closing time at like night and got away. Uh, I don't think they were ever caught. That was like at a jewelry store in between kind of the Ginza and Skiji. Also, they weren't on the main drag. You know, it's interesting. If you plan these things out, uh, apparently they they can sometimes work. But the, the big question, I think, in all of our minds, uh, all of us being you and me, is how long until someone smash and grabs the watch places at Nakano Broadway? Well, speaking of Nakano Broadway, I saw photos online of two guys casing out the place, and it was uh, Guillermo del Toro and J.J. Abrams. They've been spotted at Nakano Broadway like over the last... Last week and other like otaku hotspots along the way. So if there's a smash and grab watch robbery or if someone steals some IP, <laughs> if someone steals some Japanese IP and makes like a weird watered down Western version of it, I think those are the guys they should arrest. You are under arrest. So those guys are like the official, the non-official Pokemon of uh, the greater Tokyo metropolitan area this last week or so. It seemed like everybody in my feed was posting pictures of them like, hi, hi, Guillermo del Toro and JJ Abrams. And then they popped up again at the uh, Shizuoka Hobby Show. Uh, there's a big photograph of them uh, hanging out with the employees of your favorite company in Japan, Patrick. X Plus. Yeah, the makers of high-end vinyl kaiju reproductions. I love those guys. I actually screamed. I picked up the phone and just screamed into it without dialing it. Patrick was into it before it was cool, but nothing happened. Now, here's the weird thing is I've never seen Del Toro and J.J. Abrams in the same place at the same time. I thought it was kind of like an Ultraman. So like I've never seen Hayata and Ultraman in the same place at the same time. So they're not the same person, but I've never seen them hanging out together, let alone having like a romantic getaway in Japan. So something is up. Something maybe it's uh, an Akira remake or something like that. I don't know. If they're alter egos, which is the super one and which is the normal one? I don't like who is this like a gem? Like I was never quite clear when she trans she, like she basically transitions over the line of consent and back, right? It's like seriously, she's I thought like, it was like war shock, like they never take off the mask. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. Yeah, it was it was a kind of sh- I was literally sitting on Andy's couch after Martini number seven when the photos started coming in, and uh, I was like, "Wow, what? Ha- like, we're, I was so close to knocking on Broadway, yet so far away." Then again, like, what would I have done? I would have taken like a. It's literally like Pokemon Go. People were just snapping photos of them running. It's an opposite of a smash and grab. Like these two guys went into the most populated uh, sections of town and deliberately got their pictures taken. People. Although I have to say, you know, maybe this is maybe this marks me as as some kind of like cultural. I don't know, but I I wouldn't I couldn't pick J.J. Abrams out of a police lineup. Like I know what Del Toro looks like, you know, but J.J. Abrams, like if you had told me that guy was like Joe Schmo, I wouldn't have known. No, well, after the rise of Skywalker, there were like wanted posters all over the world. Like we want this guy for like ruining Star Wars. I never thought a movie would come out that would make me nostalgic for the prequels, uh, but it happened. You know, no fingers being pointed or anything, but it happened. Well, we'll see what those wonderful wizards of Hollywood will conjure up next in Tinseltown, perhaps inspired by something they saw in Japan. So I'm going to guess that maybe the power of anime is what lured Del Toro and J.J. Abrams to Japan this time. I don't know, but uh, there is an article possibly related to all the loot cakes on the table right now in Japan because of anime. Japan today ran this article called Streaming Giants Battle for Anime Supremacy, which is an interesting article with some interesting numbers and some quotes. 
Let's hear them. Okay, global anime market was valued at 28.6 billion in 2022, which is expected to actually double in value by 2030, which begs the question, Matt, how can we cash in on this whole anime thing? Yeah, I'd be f- Was that in pesos or was that in Canadian dollars? I don't shekels? know. Uh whatever the case is, anime is hot, Patrick, all over the world. Like it's true. I I mean, anime has really been heating up for a long time. It's not like anime hasn't been a sub culture really for quite some time now i would say at least a decade or more i mean it kind of started when you know the anime started to be broadcast i think on on like mainstream cable tv and it only really spiraled after you know the internet took off and it was much easier to get these things but it's a kind of weird double-edged sword because all like it's great that these western streaming country companies are like pumping money into the anime industry in japan that's traditionally been starved for cash because there's this whole production committee system that we've talked about before and we can talk about again some other time but it's really tough to make money in the anime industry here to get really rich and 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 like grow your company off of it so it's cool that these foreign companies are dumping all this money in but they all want exclusives so the problem is if you gamble and take their money and then you put it on that platform and that platform isn't like turns out not to be popular or whatever when the anime comes out nobody's going to see it it's going to be locked in and then that company can do whatever they want with it so it's kind scary gamble for these anime companies, I think. Yeah, speaking of exclusive rights, it says here, last year, Disney Plus announced exclusive streaming rights to season two of smash hit teen biker gang saga, Tokyo Revengers. And what's so funny is Tokyo Revengers is nothing but like kids punching each other in the face. Kids who should be out stealing watches. And this is the company that gave us Snow White and Pinocchio, Matt. They're giving us Tokyo Revengers. (sighs) What happened to the animations, Patrick? They used to be for kids. Those Japanese people, they're they're defiling our art form. It's kind of interesting because, yeah, you wouldn't really expect that to be on Disney, but it's obvious that there is some kind of push within the company. And and there must be some kind of loosening of restrictions or standards or whatever you want to call it. Like anime is being treated differently. I actually think this is really interesting because, you know, in the past when we were kids, as you know, anime could never be broadcast as anime. Like when you watched the, you know, let's say Voltron or like Robotech or any of these, like the trans. Transformers, do you know? When the credits came on, like not a single Japanese person was ever credited in them. Like it was all Western people. It was all the Western like voice actors. It was all these like random motley crew of Western producers who had like kind of cobbled together the episodes and turned like Hikaru into Rick and like all of that kind of stuff. This is so funny. I had this sudden urge to watch the opening of The Amazing Three, this old Osamu Tezuka TV show from the 1960s. I love the theme song. Sometimes I'll just play it really loud. Yeah, play it now. Play it now.
And in the end credits, it says in English, created by Osamo Tezuka. They can't even get his name right, dude. Osamatsu-kun? I love that show. Well, it's cool now that like, you know, even in stuff like, say, the Super Mario Brothers movie, do you know? They, like, the Japanese people get like higher credit than the, the foreign people, which is, I mean, it makes sense. Japanese people made this stuff. They made it for themselves, for Japanese people. Like Western people, you just studied this. You just adopted it. So in, in the past, they hid that. Now it's not being hid and i think that's really awesome this is like in my mind kind of like an interesting post soft power development where it's like cultural assimilation but like celebrating the people instead of like just hiding the fact that these people made it celebrating the fact they made it i don't know it also says here netflix has reaped the rewards with its original content making it quote the platform that drove the largest increase in global demand for anime in 2021 now i got a question are they counting fake anime like castlevania like things that aren't actually made in Japan by Japanese people. Like if I go on Netflix right now and like look in the anime section, it's going to tell me to watch Bee and Puppy Cat, okay, which is not anime. Like by my standards, not animated in Japan by Japanese. Wait a second. Are you saying Michelle Obama's Waffles and Mochi is not anime? Is that what you're saying? What are you saying, Patrick? That anime just becomes like a brand name that you can slap on something. Now we can say the global demand for anime has gone up by one more show, even though it wasn't made in Japan and none of the money comes back here. Are you insinuating that the American entertainment industry is co-opting something that was once edgy and turning it into mainstream entertainment, just like they did with, say, jazz, punk, you know, rap, uh, and turning it into just pop? Is that what you're saying? Anime is not pop. If you think so, then stop. <laughs> industry rule number 4080. Anime company people are shady. Is that is that true? This is something I never would, like, we're just in this weird, you know, we've gone through the monolith, the monolith being, you know, streaming entertainment, and now we're like... Like we're in that whole like Stanley Kubrick slit scanned, like, you know, your face is frozen in a rictus of horror as like a lights are like shining by you. And we're trying to figure out what's going on. That's literally the future of anime right now. Yeah. And how to make a dollar and a cent. Like they said, this thing's expected to double in money. Yeah. Double in money for who though? Like people, people making anime in Japan are po. This is not the path to read. Is the money trickling down from like all of those foreign producers like named at the top of all of these series? to the people in the trenches actually making it? I suspect not. That's that's the big thing here. It's so, so, so tough for someone to come up from nothing and become the next Makoto Shinkai. I mean, it's tough for anybody to become on that level, period. But there's no like union here. There's no protection for workers. There's none of that. And it's kind of ironic that this is, anime is now like Japan's top cultural export product. And it's still such an unstable industry to be in. It's wild. Yeah, I mean, maybe everyone's going to have to start taking on Yami Baito, <laughs> grabbing watches, you know, because like for the movie tickets to afford the extra miso soup at the beef bowl place. Cost of living is going up here. I got it. I got it. Idea for a new show. Okay, like Animator in the Trenches takes Yami Baito to sketch out the the plot to steal something from a Ginza jewelry store. Like he draws the storyboards that they show that at the beginning of when they're planning the robbery. And then they use those animated storyboards to pull off their robbery, but there's a twist. Wait, is that like the chalkboard in the Beastie Boys She's On It video where they're trying to figure out how to give the Spanish fly to the girl. That's the title, Spanish fly. We'll call it Spanish. This is it. This is copyright, copyright 2023, pure Tokyo scope. You may not use this without permission of us. I will pay you royalties though, if you if you animate this. Yeah, so if Guillermo del Toro, JJ Abrams, if you're out there, you know, you can reach us via our DMs, you know, just search for the hashtag Yami Baito and uh, we'll get back to you, okay? <laughs> 
<laughs> Dial 1-900 pure Tokyo scope and kick them nasty thoughts. Is that what you're suggesting? <laughs> I can't believe you're actually, I, I support this. Well, it would be really difficult for them to dial in given the fact that when they'd be listening to this, we'd already be long done with it's like interstellar. Yeah, we'll already be in the detention center at Shinagawa Immigration. <sighs> uh, do they serve shakies there? Is it like face off? Are we gonna have those like magnetic boots? Like we're gonna be out in that in that island in the middle of Tokyo Bay? Someone's gonna have to plot the escape. This is part two of Spanish Fly, our new anime coming to a theater near you in, in 2020 million. I don't know. Hello, I am Guillermo del Toro, and I hope you enjoy my TV series, The Strain, which is now available in Japan in Blu-ray, DVD, and digital HD. Konnichiwa, konbawa, ohayo otaku sidecut, sehi mitane. Well, man, I guess that wraps it up for our latest news-only edition of Pure Tokyo Scope. Next week, we'll be back with a full-length episode, including a feature inspired by a listener comment. Thank you for listening, as always. Remember, Pure Tokyo Scope is supported by our users. So please send a bunch of money to me. Thank you. And, oh, subscribe. Listen, if you don't subscribe, we're going to have to pick up the phone and call the Yami Baito companies. So thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. See you next time. of that nearsighted character, Mr. Magoo, comes your way Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Now stay tuned for McGilla Gorilla and Peter Potamus. Spaceman.